When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome everybody to the new set of the podcast. I moved, Ben moved. This is a... This is the new rental. I do not own this place. It's yep. very nice. <laughs> if you hear an echo, it's not an accident. That's a metaphor for the echo chamber of the podcast. <laughs> so we did that on purpose. No yes. complaints. So to get started, it's all move stuff this week. So we'll, we'll have a persuasion question. Okay. How do I get the owners to let me have a cat here? Mm. So a little background. This is a very nice home. It came furnished, uh, which was like almost a prerequisite for me because I don't have any stuff. So I got it furnished and they've been very accommodating, but also they're very particular about everything in the home. And so I want them to get, I want a kitty cat. That you might, want a cat? They, might they, ruin furniture. they didn't even want to let you bring the dogs at first, right? You had to like ask special they permission were concerned. for the They were concerned. We got two little guys. So I would say you're not going to like it, but the first thing is probably establish some rapport, establish yourself as a good tenant. Mm-hmm. I would wait Two months, can't. pay rent on time. <laughs> I know you have a particular cat that you want. I'm just saying in general, for a cat in general, pay rent on time, don't throw parties, like just establish yourself as a good tenant and then ask is what I, was I would do. This. It was, his birthday was yesterday. Mine was two days ago. We'd go out for a birthday dinner. Joint birthday dinner. Joint birthday dinner. Okay. And well, I guess here's the big question. Do I tee it up as a big ask? This is the essential question. Or as a... Oh, could I ask? So like one version is like, hey, I'm not sure how you guys feel. I know you're very concerned about stuff and I totally get that. Um, but blah, blah, blah. I'd like a cat. Yeah. Or do I go, oh, yeah, well, see, there was this cat that needs rescuing. And so they'd, they'd ask me, can I, I was just going to bring it in. That's cool, right? You so know I put no I mean? thought like, into this. So maybe someone will quote Robert Cialdini yeah. at me and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, off the cuff, I'd say start small. And then if you get resistance or hesitance then go with the acknowledging yeah. the objections so i think just start with i think you're like, right hey this isn't a big deal i didn't because basically if you act like it's a big deal they'll ping off you no it's a frame thing it's a frame if i go this is great they they're not 100 percent going to buy into it but they, yeah, if you they, come in and say hey i know this is a huge sacrifice oh, i'm yeah. asking you to do yeah yeah they will think of it like that versus if you just say hey there's i saw this cat it, it needs a home them. it's you're in a shelter <laughs> it's a great cat and then it, I think inevitably when they come up with hesitations, I don't know that you're getting outright no so much as a lot of soft hesitations and I don't know, I don't knows. Yeah. Then you can address objections along the way, basically. Uh, yeah. Uh, and if you know the, if, I guess if you know the objections, you can still address them ahead of time, but without acting like it's a big deal. So like, there's a cat, this and that. I know you guys are worried about the furniture, but I'll make sure that. You know, the cat only stays in certain or buy rooms insurance or whatever. Or something. Yeah, I'll buy insurance or cat whatever. insurance. <laughs> yeah. sure so you can still, exists. I think you can still address objections without making it seem like it's a huge ask. No, I think you're right. My inclination in these sorts of things, I actually do think uh, in, in these sort of scenarios, I, I very much put myself in the emotional perspective of the other person, which makes it, I often anticipate that it's a big deal and that can be to my detriment. Mm-hmm. And the people that I see who are successful when they're asking me for something or when they're asking anyone else, uh, it's, it's a frame thing where they act 
like it's very very small at least to start yeah we had and, an, and, i think we had a negotiation thing we talked about on the podcast that was like this yeah where, where we were talking about do we come in and try to meet them where they're starting from because they started the opening bid mm-hmm. and what we decided was no their opening bid was just trash so we'll just say completely ignore it and just be like I would make a few changes and then just come in with huge changes yeah. <laughs> and, but say, I, you know, and cause then they can also always say no. You yeah. Know? But the tone of what we said, I, I don't exactly what it was, was yeah, there's a few changes and few is true, but there, there's yeah, three changes, three, <laughs> three changes. changes and they're it's massive. nothing like the original <laughs> thing that you offered and it's a great deal and we're super excited for it. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing that I, you know, it's all move stuff cause I've been moving, but uh, the power of incentives, super interesting. I'm on the phone with, I'm going to call them out. We did get internet now, but Frontier, uh, which is an internet provider out here in California, I imagine in a couple places. And I didn't notice it at first, but after the second or third time, a representative on the phone said, uh, by the way, there's going to be a rating and it's just for me. It's just for me. So if you could let, you know, how I did, not mm-hmm. anything else. And what, what happened was that every person was super friendly, told me that things were being fixed, told me that in 24 hours, don't worry, we fixed it, it's going to yeah, be yeah. up. And I was on the phone for hours and hours on end, and it was never fixed, it never came up. Finally, a technician came out, and I didn't let him leave until I did a speed test <laughs> that confirmed. Uh, and I just realized that the incentive structure that has been devised by whatever corporate people trying to make good stuff happen is, you're, you're going to be rated individually, you're going to be rated immediately after the phone call, and this person does not know who you are and will never be able to track you down again. Right, so you can't the, get to the yeah, same yeah, yeah. person. So the incentive say, hey, structure you promised be super friendly. Don't fix anything. Right, right. <laughs> and promise that it's all going to be good and that you found the problem and it's going to kick on any minute now, probably within twenty four hours. And the and by the I got hit to the twenty four hour thing after the second time it happened, and I was like, no, 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 you need to send a technician out here so I can like, yeah. physically hold him. No, I, just I think often the. Uh, it sucks and you want to try to do it kindly, but the number one thing that motivates companies, it seems, is I'm going to switch. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a phone problem or an internet problem and you're just, you act like your only option in the world is Verizon or T-Mobile mm-hmm. and you're trying to work with them, often so little gets done until you go, hey, if this isn't fixed in 24 hours, I'm just going to switch. Mm-hmm. And then miraculously, it doesn't fix everything, but all of a sudden you're getting better service, yeah, yeah. quicker service, whatever it is. And it's to your point of the incentives, if you're on a subscription, it's not like you pay Spectrum or, or Frontier more yeah. or less, depending on how good they do. So until you flag that you're going to switch, they're getting their paycheck every month either way. Well, it's just interesting how the stickiness of the business model naturally evolves into this kind of service mm-hmm. for these types of things that are like, look, it's going to be a tremendous headache to switch accounts and it's going to be a big headache at the end of it but mostly you just chill and they get to ding you for a commodity service that costs the same exact price for somebody else who probably has the same issues you know and it's like airlines you know what i mean what are you going to do we're the only people that fly direct to la yeah yeah. (laughs) like (laughs) no the other thing that's interesting with subscriptions in particular is sometimes there is a like instead of offering a better service, you just lower the price a little and hope no one mm-hmm. even recognizes that you're charging them. This is a bit of a pivot and I won't name names, but we met people at a conference recently where their business models basically don't provide much, but only charge $2 a month mm-hmm. with the idea that if you can just get people to sign up, they'll stay forever. They mm-hmm. might not even remember that they pay for you. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's that, that weird gym, gym model basically of get someone in on a contract that they can't cancel and then... Just just ding them without providing any value. Yeah. 
Well, the, I guess what I was, as I was thinking, I was like, how do you get people not to do this? Like, how do I get this guy who I will never find, who is at a call? He's not even at a call center because it's COVID. He's just hanging out at his house Mm -hmm. to care. And I was like, the only, just made me see the value of something like religion and ideology in general, which is the, I think that people in the absence of some sort of ideology, whether it's a strong moral code that their parents beat into them, which is often religious, patriotism, one of the big isms, basically, will find a way to make any sort of incentive system not serve its intended purpose, right? The intended purpose of, I imagine, what you the, the frontier incentive system was to get people to make customers happy, so they're going to rate them at the end of it. And I think it's just a natural thing that people will find <laughs> the shortcut there, which is be super polite, get them off the phone, mm-hmm. get a 10 out of 10 rating. Well, this is the whole philosophy behind that book that you really like about reinventing organizations is mm-hmm. that if you if you silo people and segment them and you give them tasks, but you don't tell them what it's for, mm-hmm. it's kind of exactly like in Game of Thrones when that guy tries to chase the mountain because he's told to wait somewhere, but not told why. Yeah. So people will try to do what you tell them, but if they don't know why they're doing it, inevitably they will not do what you had hoped they would do with the incentive mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. Although I think with, in the case of Frontier, they might be happy to just give you the runaround. Even as a business, yeah. No, that's, that's a... And I think something that we've seen is that even, even in our businesses, it, incentives have the same outcome, mm-hmm. which is like they're, they're crude motivating tools. Sometimes in, like they do transform action. Let's put it that way. Like incentives are incredibly effective at just redirecting resources and activity to other places. They're not super fine-tuned yeah. <laughs> and they don't get, they're not holistic mm-hmm. in, in how they work. And what has been, I think, what has been the most holistic thing? It's, I guess it's like a religion or being an owner or having your name on something. That's something else that we saw was like, hey, we want to make sure that everybody is, uh, feels that, that their name is somewhere written on this thing that they've built. And that then creates a more holistic approach to yeah. No, I try every, every couple of videos. I try at the end to shout out the editors yeah. by name. Mm-hmm. It just, just get, it gets them to put their photos on it. And I think yeah. it makes them feel happier to mm-hmm. to worker on it i think because yeah. they know that they're gonna be acknowledged for it well it's acknowledged and i mean i feel that when i when i make these videos it's okay what's the if i were making these videos for someone else what is the bar that this has to hit mm. okay now it has my name on it yeah, yeah. what is the bar that this has to hit totally different totally yeah. different and at least you're the og man i gotta yeah. make I, my bar is like <laughs> are people gonna bitch that this wasn't made by charlie <laughs> so i've i'm constantly just like all right i gotta give it another run oh, through dude, i mean they they complained about stuff when i was doing it too the, well i'm fine now i've been doing yeah. it for almost a year yeah. but at first you know video four now everybody's either figured out it's gonna be me forever or, we'll or they still think, yeah, exactly everyone either goes charlie's gone forever or Charlie never left. That's what every charisma command person thinks. Are you sick still? <laughs> There's another thing I I did. It's it only works for some uh, people, and I know I know that people are really against tipping. In, or not against tipping. They think tipping is a crude model in the waitress waiter food industry. But I found with the movers at least, these guys are coming in. The company that runs the website is taking I think over half the pay, even though these guys are doing the labor. Mm-hmm. And so when they were moving, I was, I said, Hey, I don't have cash. Can you just text me your Venmo so I can tip you at the end? Mm-hmm. And that's all I said, but I just kind of made it clear that there yeah. was more money in it for them. 
And I think that that's a helpful thing you can sometimes do is flag early instead of if I just hadn't said anything and then gave them a tip at the end. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have been still a pleasant surprise, but it might not incentivize them to care as much. Yeah. yeah. Whereas when I said, hey, just shoot me your Venmo, I'm going to tip you at the end of this just so you get it instead of the corporation. Mm -hmm. They were super appreciative. And I think that made them feel less shitty, I guess, about doing hard labor when someone else was getting most of the money. Yeah, I think the, yeah, tipping is weird because then it becomes habit and it's like, I, I tip well and I tip the same amount no matter what you do, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just build it into my mental framework of the cost of, of things, at least at restaurants and that sort of stuff. So I wonder if that's, it's, it's power is worn out, but no, I, I agree with the movers, man. The students worked hard and were carrying boxes all damn day. That would be no fun. This is semi-related to the, the incentive moral thing. So CoffeeZilla did a video that was, he's doing really cool investigative work, number one. Uh, but the, I think he's somebody who works with the Nelk group that I'm not totally familiar with, but he makes these extremely expensive videos where he spends a boatload of money and gives some of it away and when you do the math, you know, 4 million views, how much he's giving away. I mean, I could do the math. I go, this doesn't add up. Like this person is coming in with money or losing it at a rate that is not sustainable. And so we started to dig into how he's doing it. It's a really interesting video. It's going to be a six-part Oh, sorry. Series. You're talking about the Nelk. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying CoffeeZilla gave oh, no, money. No. I was so confused. I thought you were saying CoffeeZilla gives no, no, money away one at an of the guys related, uh, Steve will do it is I think his name. Or Got something it. So like CoffeeZilla investigated a guy yes, where the math yes. doesn't add up. And oh, now I'm with you. So he goes into it and he's, he's he does really hardcore investigative stuff trying to figure out how where it's coming from. And essentially, he traces it, I think, accurately. And we'll find out in the other parts to uh, recommending casino gambling websites that are completely offshore, totally unregulated, and getting a cut of the losses. Now, technically, it's not a cut of the losses. It's a cut of the amount that his people play dependent on the house edge in any given game, which is essentially, when you zoom out, a cut of the losses. Well, of course. I mean, if a casino, <laughs> if a casino is paying you, you're being paid off of Yes, losses. but I mean, here's what I'm saying that makes it the losses. Each game has a different edge. Sure. Depending on what game they get, he gets paid more. Which right. is to say, like, dude, we're paying you <laughs> because they're losing. Yes. It's not just bringing people inside and maybe they'll get a drink or hang out. No, it's like how much money multiplied by how likely they are to lose. Mm -hmm. That's what we pay you. Um, so, yeah, it's it's essentially a cut of the losses. And uh, the other thing, I, I, Lord knows... I'm not, uh, what other shenanigans will turn up in parts, whatever, two through six. But it was just interesting that this this guy, uh, the impression that I get from him, he's like a mini Gronk. He like does like beer drinking challenges mm -hmm. and like, not that Gronk does beer drinking, but he's just like a goofy, just a bro. silly bro. Uh, and when I look at him, I don't see a criminal mastermind or I, I see someone who has like literally the thought of, is this right? I don't think passed through his brain at any moment doing this. And- just occurred to me like because there's all this youtuber we've been talking about it and i hate it this crypto bullshit uh like cryptos like nfts the way that influencers are doing it is so morally disturbing <laughs> that there's not a thought of like well what am i promoting and what is the likely outcome of this and how am i enriching myself that there's not a single question of is, is this a good thing to put into the world i'm 
I'm not, I don't know what the word is. Not surprised. It's a bummer that how pervasive that lack of moral thought. Yeah. And what you're saying, what you're saying, which I don't disagree with is people are trusting this recommendation and they're not sophisticated informed buyers. What I'm saying, what I'm I don't saying think is if, he's you, got, if, if you did a shout out to say, hey, these casinos are super fun. Yeah. There's a house edge. Obviously, that's how every casino works. So uh-huh. you're likely to lose, but it's fun and some people make millions. That's just casinos. That's casinos that have existed for yeah. a thousand years. So is your issue with the fact that he, his messaging of it? Because so, for instance, I could, I wouldn't mind if I went to Vegas, came back, was like, I had a great time at the win. It was sick. I made a thousand bucks. Most people are going to lose money, but if you don't mind losing a couple thousand bucks, the win had a, was a great time. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't say that's an unethical thing to say, even if the win was giving me a cutback. If I said, Joe, go to the win, use my code. I get a percentage of the losses. You're I, probably going to lose. But hey, by the way, you could make a million bucks. I don't think you'd say that's unethical either. So I, th- I think it's a couple of things. I think if you're selling cigarettes, if you're selling vices to people and without, uh, Things that, that for a large amount of the people, and I don't know if it needs to be majority or whatnot, wind up being uh, destructive to their life based like then. And also, if you're exempting yourself from that destructive tendency, because like, I lost 10 grand at the casino, so fun and funny. It's like, no, you didn't. You lost 10 at the table and made 100 for the sponsorship. <laughs> like, you made 90 grand at the casino. Nobody else in your audience has that opportunity. So it's one pushing a vice to, like you said, misrepresenting uh, with the enthusiasm what it is. Like if he was if he was actually losing 10 grand at these casinos and not getting paid, I don't think that he would be as enthusiastic about it as, as, yeah, yeah. as he is. So it's like you're getting paid to present this as something that it's not and your attitude is reflective in a way that is incredibly destructive. Like I am paid to say that Audible is a really cool thing. And otherwise, I wouldn't dedicate a minute at the end of my videos to talking about Audible. But I think that Audible is a good thing for people to have. And I think that their lives are improved when they spend 50, or or are very likely to be uh, improved in a small way when they spend $15 a month and get an Audible credit. Sure. Um, so it's, it's the vice thing. It's the representation. It's, it's the, uh, how he represents it. And then I'm not sure about this one. I'd have to check. I'm not certain if you need to really be 18 or older for these offshore gambling sites mm-hmm. and i imagine that they're not going for like channels with really old audiences <laughs> they're going for like viral video influencers that are appealing to people younger than me and i don't think many people older than me have it but there is still of course a gap i'm 34 years old now so um, but that those would be my three issues and the just the general thing that doesn't seem to have quite, it doesn't seem that he's asked himself is this good or not? He, like he hasn't thought about any of those considerations or angles. And sure. That, that's what I mean, it, the other thing is your definition of a vice. So I think, sure, I think gambling is one. But for instance, I think the Nelk uh, bros have their own beer. Yeah. And you might say that's peddling a vice. But I think they love that shit. I think they think it's awesome and fun. And so when they mm-hmm. recommend it, you guys might have different worldviews. But they're like, yeah. get this for your parties. Play beer pong with it. I shock on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have as big of an issue. I don't drink, but I go with that one. Your experience of alcohol you guys and your audience's experience is more likely to overlap. Also your audience's <laughs> age. Like if you're, yeah. if you're a 20 year old guy in college, you're getting Coors Light, yeah, yeah. you're getting Pabst. You might as well, if you like the Nelk Bros, get the Nelk Bros. Be- I don't know what the label is, but it's like, yeah, you're going to drink cheap beer and play beer pong, do flip cup. And it's going to mm-hmm. be awesome. Cause that's, you're in that age. And then when you're 40, you won't, you'll 
drink something else or yep. stop drinking. So I feel like that, even if that's quote unquote peddling a vice, I don't personally mind that one in the sense that you, the, your worldview isn't that you're peddling a vice. Your worldview is that this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you're all, that like they also in that age range, not inaccurately think partying is awesome. And so, yes. Okay. Just like don't try, try not to become an alcoholic. I think, yeah, they were probably uh, drinking really heavily. They're like, what's awesome? Drinking. Let's, let's make drinking stuff. Yeah. Uh, with these, these gambling things, I, my impression is somebody approached him and said, hey, you want to make a lot of money? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm want- just trying not to lump everything they no, do I'm not. together. Oh, no, no, sorry. I'm, and even this particular guy, I'm not even like, my impression, like I said, not evil, not mastermind, just thoughtless mm-hmm. about, uh, and I think that that's incredibly common. The idea that if you can do something and make money and not get put, I guess it's what I, what the bummer is that most people's like moral floor is the legal f- floor. They, they go only slightly above and beyond what the demands mm-hmm. of, <laughs> of not getting thrown in jail are. Well, sorry. At actually, least when it comes to making money. We actually talked about this. It's the legal floor and the social floor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if people... And yes, if their social group, especially if the people around them are saying that it's okay. Like, and, and I think, but I'm saying if the people around you say it's not okay, yeah. that's also a pretty efficient way to stop behavior, mm-hmm. even if it's legal. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and, and I don't, and I think that that is very common, and I think that the reason that that is not what I experienced is because I, I spent four years in a philosophy degree, I, you know, constantly asking these sorts of questions. And uh, more than saying that this is bad, you're a bad person, I wish that there was philosophy or ethical training younger in people's lives mm. as a core part of the curriculum and the training doesn't need to be utilitarianism right or this is right but like just introducing the idea that what is allowed and what is right can be different yeah well <laughs> weirdly enough because we talked about incentives earlier you are incentivized not to study philosophy mm-hmm. at least where i grew up there you don't have it as an option at all until your senior year and then you're given the option did, of, you, did we have an option we have the option of philosophy or ap psychology and you're, so if you're are you sure mm-hmm. and so if you're applying i wanted to take philosophy did anyone take philosophy if you care about getting into the best school possible you default to ap psychology because it looks better because it wasn't ap philosophy oh. so if you're trying to go to an ivy league school like i was you literally just thought you opt out philosophy is a non-starter it's the same as taking uh music theory you know like you could do music theory but oh, sorry was, they, they had ap music theory that's okay AP music theory. oh really <laughs> yeah oh what was the one there was something i wanted to take but i couldn't for the same reason i don't know they have these they personal have, finance or something was in there yeah too. maybe it was yeah. personal finance they have these electives that you want to take that sound interesting yeah. even at age 16 and 17 they sound interesting but they don't quote unquote look as good mm-hmm. to colleges and so if your incentive structure is just to get into the best college that dictates your classes for you and so you're actually yep. you're steered away from learning about ethics and morality and you're steered towards whatever is weighted best on your application yeah and i wonder if some of it isn't because it's we we were just kind of reminiscing about school the other day and how they literally like chained the doors to people (laughs) like it it is a huge component of how schools have been devised this is 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 based on the industrial revolution put everybody in but it's it's kind of like child care while people work like you just need to put them all in a place it's it's and educating free thinking uh if there's 2,000 students in a building and there's one faculty for every 30 of them or something like that having a bunch of free thinking question asking hey wait a second who gives you the authority to say that is not the best way to get things running smoothly Mm -hmm. like 
Well, same thing with student <laughs> debt. Everyone talks about, you know, student debt. It's so crazy, blah, blah, blah. If you want a workforce that does jobs that yeah. aren't necessarily appealing or fun on their own, having 150 grand of debt <laughs> that will have a hefty penalty if you can't pay it off is a good way to get people to go, I don't want to do this job. It's not fun, but I will mm -hmm. do it because I basically came into adulthood strapped with debt. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's a great incentive for a society that wants people to do things that they don't enjoy, but have to get done. If that makes sense. It's not a good incentive for fulfilled, happy people who mm -hmm. uh, have pursued their passions in life. I wonder, so I'm just, I'm thinking through that. So it's a good incentive, I suppose, because I'm thinking about China, for instance, which seems to be a place where people do things that they might not like mm -hmm. in order to get ahead. But I guess that's more product of the economic realities that they face. Just I don't know. I actually, to be honest, I feel like I have no possible idea what life is actually like in China. I, I know a lot of propaganda. Sure. But yeah, I have no actual idea of what people who are born and raised in China do or feel in terms of personal freedom and career. Got it. Uh, moving along, I watched an interesting podcast. Coleman Hughes had this guy, super, super interesting dude. He was one of the first, or maybe the, like the most popular American jihadis. He joined Al-Qaeda. He was born in rural Pennsylvania. And he traces his reasoning back to what I think is very likely the case for almost anybody who finds themselves in these sorts of uh, movements was he was abused uh, mm -hmm. in his in his childhood. His dad kind of left him. His mom, he said, abused him pretty bad. He ran away at age 15. He was in and out of jail. And somebody in jail was kind to him who was a Muslim and introduced him to these <laughs> things and these, these rules and this other stuff. And he was very receptive. This is the other thing. I think it just made me realize my own politics, everybody's politics are just so influenced by your concept of if the world is a safe place if you can trust authority, if the guy in first place is uh, someone that is a kind person or as someone who is misusing their power, sure. like all of these sorts of things. Or if you're things. told, I think a big thing is if you're told you can get to first place yeah. or not. You know, yeah. even if you think they're abusing their power or not, the system, if you think you are someone who can excel within the system, you'll accept the system. And if you're someone who thinks that there's no chance the system puts you towards the top, you're going to want to buck the system. And the system, I guess what, I, what I'm just saying is the system, it's the family system, is the first sort of decisions that are made about that. And then I think people's politics just evolve as like offshoots of how you feel about authority. Yeah. And then that, that forms the basis of whether you're likely, you know, 9-11 is an inside job. Some people have a gut reaction to that that's like, yes, yes. Like, well, we, and, and the evidence uh, is extremely convincing. And some people don't even entertain that thought. There's no way that's possible. I am not saying that any of these are true or false or this or that, but I, we met a guy who believed almost every conspiracy, <laughs> yeah. every single conspiracy that oh came to him, right? God. It was, uh, you know, HIV was that, created by the government and yep. it only targets certain people and he's mm -hmm. immune to it because of some, you know, mm -hmm. it's not designed for him. Yeah. The earth is flat. The 9-11 was inside job. Just every conspiracy you can imagine. And we're yeah. like, what is going on? This guy seems, when you're not talking about conspiracies, like a friendly, charismatic, normal guy. Yeah. And he answers the door with a machine gun and a pistol at his Yeah, head. he shows you he's cleaned up his guns because he's going to protect him and his own and then when you, the tanks roll in. You find out that yeah. he had a very, very bad relationship with his father at a young age and completely distrusts authority because of it. Yeah. Like if it's the paternal figure, government, scientists, anyone that represents a 
that thing he felt towards his dad when he was growing up, instantly he goes, they are evil. They're going to abuse me. They're going to abuse their power because his dad he took, a, took advantage of the size age advantage that he had over his son and abused him. And you just go, oh, this all clicks into place. It makes sense to you given this belief that you've had since, in a, since a very young age. Mm-hmm. So you don't need the evidence to be compelling in a way versus someone who maybe doesn't believe any conspiracies except for one maybe actually was convinced by the evidence. Yeah. But when you're, when you're just, oh, they're all true. Yeah. It's, it's, I think signifies what life was like for you growing up. Yep. hundred percent. And, um, he also says that like what gets people into these movements is not, he's like this, this Coleman was asking him, he's like, could it have been a far right movement? And he's like, well, I, I was, I was, he had the issue, the authority thing was something that he mm-hmm. wasn't into. So he's like, I don't know it could have been far right, but it could have been a lot of different things. And he said, what got me in and what gets people in is the community. Um, it's the same. It's crazy how a lot of the things that are coming from different fields. I remember there was this TED talk, perhaps a bit overstated about addiction that talks about how the mice mm-hmm. when uh, treated with or offered water full of drugs will get addicted to the drugs and will drink themselves to death in a cage without other stimulation. But when reintroduced to a cage with other female mice and other friend mice and things to do, will kick the addiction. The idea that this uh, community piece keeps coming up and like why people do crazy things, why they're addicted to drugs, why they're, you know, want to blow up some building or, uh, it, I just keep seeing it come up that there is this need that will be filled mm-hmm. for community well when i was making the tom hardy video he he does um a non-profit he works at a non-profit that helps drug addicts because he was a drug addict and he's talking to someone who works there who was also a drug addict and they're talking and the guy explicitly says i was starting out with no close connections Mm -hmm. and the people that would build close connections with me did these drugs and asked me to do these drugs and i thought if I didn't do them, I would lose my only close connections. And he initially had no interest in yeah. the in the effect of the drugs and then became addicted addicted to, I think it was heroin. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's just game over because now you're, you need a drastic life change to get out of that. You know what I mean? If you keep the same friends and you mm-hmm. keep the same house, it's not going to change for you. I know a guy who runs an Ibogaine clinic. And so people will come down who are heroin addicts. They'll do three, three weeks in the program, completely kick their physical addiction. If He says if they don't move afterwards, they go back to the same house in the same neighborhood with the same friends, they'll just do heroin mm-hmm. again, despite the fact they have no physical compulsion because the same things that got them in the first time just get them in the second time. Yeah. But if they come home and they move and they're forced to make new friends and they have new associations with a new house and a new neighborhood, then they're done because the Ibogaine cuts the physical addiction. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting to, to think about uh, a lot of times these people might not even necessarily just be chasing the high, but it's just the circumstances make them feel like this is what they do to fit in or have friends sure. or have loved ones or whatever it might be. Yeah, it seems like there's um, also this weird valley that one falls into in terms of the community. It's like once you're a drug addict, let's say you hit rock bottom, you no longer be a drug addict, so you're ready to get rid of all your drug addict friends. Like, okay, who's signing up to be your friend that's not a drug addict right now? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. 
Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Okay, you're just in Al-Qaeda. You realize that you don't want to do this anymore. Like, who's signing up to be that guy's friend and community? Is that once you get pulled into these things that are so far afield of mainstream community, it's tough to get back into mainstream community. It yeah, and I like. also think that, I don't know, I don't know that drug addict communities do this, although maybe they they do, but I think with things like Al-Qaeda or certain uh, religious groups, they twist that knife. Mm-hmm. They say, if you leave, we're, we're completely banning you from all of the people. Oh, no, you don't get yeah. to stay in touch. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you leave, you're dead to everyone here, and they make that explicitly clear, and they, they twist that knife Mm-hmm. purposely to keep people in who yeah, are no. dissatisfied with the ideology. And this, is, this isn't we everyone, know but guy who we, know, was... we know several. This, this is uh, more than one Mormon person mm-hmm. that I know has told me that that was their experience up to and including with family members mm-hmm. when they left the church, which is you are just gone. Well, You're one cut. guy, that's what I was going to say. That's not to say every single one, but... One guy left fundamentalist. He's always very clear yeah. to say fundamentalist <laughs> Mormons, like the most hardcore you can get. Mm-hmm. He left with his wife. His wife and him both don't agree with the religious views of it. But once they separated, his wife wanted the ties so much that she went back and just fakes it. <laughs> and just, ha- you know, if she has a kid, she will tell that well, kid we everything. Well, we spoke to him and we asked him, I believe. And I said, do you think she's faking it? He said, I think she, basically her reasoning is incredibly motivated. So that we've talked about this. Your brain is going to do you the favors that you feel that you need to survive and be safe. Mm-hmm. And like, if you need to believe something that you didn't believe six months ago and you had really good reasons for it, you'll, your brain is going to, it'll do you that solid. <laughs> like, She'll- She'll raise a kid with her new husband and raise that kid completely in the faith and never even mention that she left. That'll be a life experience that the kid mm-hmm. never hears about. So she's just, she's, even if she in her head has doubts to the, to the outward facing world, including the people closest to her and the kids she's going to raise, she's as devout as they come mm-hmm. because to stray from that is to lose all her family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Um, Forget when it came up sometime this week. I was just thinking of the things, you know, okay. So we, we've talked in the past on this podcast about the things that my family, I've talked a lot about my family. You've mentioned, I, I don't know if you've mentioned on the podcast, but I've been like, my mom screwed this up or my dad screwed this up. And it's like, I can trace the screw ups through to like, and it affected me in this way. And somebody, I think in Patreon, I saw like, what do you think your parents did well? Cause you guys are, are well raised. Um, and it's a way harder tracing i found i was like i don't actually know what the things they got right i was trying to codify them um but one that i think i came up with related to this is that i did have a pretty pretty strong though not infinite sense that 
I could date whoever I wanted and they mm-hmm. would still love me. I could move wherever I wanted and they could still love me. I could go to college or not go to college and they would still love me. Like the the span of things that I could do and still have the support and love of my family was pretty wide spanning. Yeah. Um, they didn't like it, but I could leave a private equity job, yeah. <laughs> move to Brazil and start a business yes. that was probably not going to work. And they would still love me. They would say, yes. hey, I don't think this is a good call for you mm-hmm. when you're going to be poor and <laughs> struggling, but we will still love you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I actually know people who their parents have made it implicit, although not explicit, yeah. that if they move too far locationally, there will be a, pe- a love penalty. And, and not a love, it's, it's often not framed as a love penalty. It's like a, you'll hurt me so much penalty. Like right. you don't love me if you go there. So it's, and that's, I guess the things that have been, it's almost like very general, like the things that weren't good were, were the, almost the limits of the love. And it was, some of it was just felt on my end as a boy growing up in the nineties, which is like, if you cry too much, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not, therefore you're not worthy. Um, and as demonstrated also by our fathers who never cried or, <laughs> or expressed any I've literally, I, I have seen one tear leave my father's eyes and it was when his dad died and I saw him tear up at my sister's wedding, but yeah. he denies that a tear, he vehemently denies that yes. a tear left his eyes. Yes. And so without saying it, you get the impressions like, that's not what we do. Like, so oh, no, he's super clear. He's super clear that uh, yes. that's not, that's not what men do. Yeah. So the things that were, um, limits or Sorry, like other things, men can't yeah yeah not all men <laughs> yeah well and, and again he's never said that but you that's no, no, it's interpreted just, it's just my sense of what he thinks maybe maybe he doesn't feel that way that is no, my sense of how he, he doesn't think that no but uh, you know i think that kids are are having done a bunch of mdma far more intuitive than we realize like they pick well they up, often say kids kids care much more about what you do than what you say yeah so if you say oh it's okay to cry something's okay something's okay something's <laughs> yeah. okay something's okay but you never do it if it's yeah it's okay to cry but you're you're like this in sad situations, they know they're not. Uh, well, it's just interesting. They, you could see it shaking out the other way, but yeah. apparently children are much more receptive to what you do than yeah. if you're like, okay, you have to be kind to waiters. Mm-hmm. And then you're <laughs> chewing out every waiter and bitching <laughs> about them behind their back. Your kid is going to bitch out waiters and you're going to go, I always said yeah. to be kind to waiters. I don't get it. That's like, you have road, road rage. Yeah. Don't swear. <laughs> yeah. No, they just, they just look at your behavior. They almost don't, they just don't take your words at that much yeah. uh, of import. But, um, but yeah, so that I guess the things that were done poorly were the limits of that or the felt limits. In some cases, that's my fault where I misinterpreted. In some cases, it was a reasonable interpretation. And the things that went well were like the expansiveness of the I'll love you up and up to and including this and including this and including this and including this. And it gave um, a lot of freedom for, yeah, I don't know. I, I talked my parents out of religion when I was like eight. <laughs> or maybe I was 12 at that point, but I didn't get the sense that that was going to jeopardize our relationship, mm. which was good. Um, this is uh, an announcement. So this goes out on Friday? Friday, October 8th. So I've mentioned in the past, uh, on Monday, we're going to be, if you guys are interested, we'll throw the Google Doc in. We have uh, Ali Abdal's part-time YouTuber Academy is opening. Uh, we're partnering with him for it. He's going to teach the core of the course. I'm going to teach... Uh, I think two or three workshop sessions in addition to um, when I'm, we're setting up the number, but Q&As, private Q&As, just with the Charisma On Command joining people. It's a course to help you start a YouTube channel or if you're getting started to grow that YouTube channel. The whole idea is that some people have might have no subscribers. Uh, some people are more interested in monetization, but it's intended to take you from 
I'm not sure what niche is the best for me. I've got all these different ideas up to, okay, I've got the right niche. I've got the right titles, the right thumbnails. My videos are getting views. I've got maybe, you know, some people have gotten tens of thousands of subscribers in just a short period of time. Um, I went through the entire course. I really liked it, and that's why I partnered with him to do it. So it's coming out next week. It is a capped course because it is taught live on Zoom, and a community is a big part of it. There's a ton of interaction, which is really interesting. Uh, so if you want to join, put your name in the Google Doc beneath this, and I'll send you an email when it launches because it very well may sell out. It's sold out in all of the three previous cohorts. Cool? And cool. I'm excited. I, I, I like talking about YouTube. I realized that BitSummit. It's a thing that I have not totally codified. That's the part of that's the part of charisma that I enjoyed was figuring it out the first time. Repeating it <laughs> was not the part that I was super interested in. So we'll see how many cohorts I have in me before I'm like, I can't do this. But anymore. at least this one. Oh, this one I'm at excited for. I'm one. genuinely excited for it. As I as I sit down, one of the big questions was, how do you make money as a small channel? I was like, I've never really thought about that. And I was like, Gambling. <laughs> and that's why I want to bring you to sponsor. And that's why we're bringing it. <laughs> Cigarettes. You Should get you smoke kids them? Sure. Them. Is this going to get clipped up in a hate video? Who knows? <laughs> um, I think that's all that I had for, for this. Did you have anything? Well, I had one thing, which is actually, it's a question that uh, came to my mind when I was watching the Fighter and the Kid podcast or whatever it's called now. Do you think there is shame as a man in admitting that you do steroids because obviously i think for yeah for me there would be not for every community of men though certainly i think i I don't think that's the case yeah do you think there's shame in for a woman getting implants i think that there is interesting a little bit depending on the community well but also by the way like the answer here is depends on your i could generalize by city and by socioeconomic class but man woman i think is too broad some guys don't give a damn about steroids. Yeah. Like, I was just thinking about it because so Brendan Schaub admits on the podcast to doing steroids. And at first yeah. I was like, oh, why does he bother doing that? Like he's an elite athlete. He's already married. He's already in good shape. And I had a, a judgment on it. And then he goes on to talk about how Frank Grillo, Hugh Jackman, The Rock, all these guys are doing steroids and just lying about it and going on talk shows mm-hmm. saying that the secret is chicken and rice. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I actually kind of respect that he's... Oh, yeah, saying yeah. That he, at least he comes out and he's just like, yeah, I'm doing steroids. This guy I work out with is doing steroids. It's like, okay. The, the honesty of it, I realize, is so rare. There's so many people who will go out and just lie on talk shows. There must be some stigma that Hollywood celebrities feel 100%, about 100%. being on this stuff. But, they, but then they go on this stuff because the demands for them are to look a certain way. Yeah, that's not to say that it should or shouldn't be shameful, but the behavior of people is that it is a secret. <laughs> it is that that they will deny in the face of evidence, and I'm sorry, Rock, uh, you're on steroids. <laughs> like, also, by the way, Hugh Jackman. I think one of the ways that people get around they, this is like yeah. how they define steroids. Yeah. So maybe it's not a steroid. Maybe it's TRT or maybe There's HGH other, doesn't count yeah, as a yeah. steroid. But like, no. you're on something that supplements He was your, an elite athlete, an incredible wrestler, and at age 35, he put on the most muscle of his life. Yeah. It's just like... Like you hadn't been lifting weights hard before that when you were a football player or when you were a wrestler. I mean, no, there's no d- evidence where this is just a, it's a, a opinion. I feel totally it's safe. I feel totally <laughs> safe with this. Uh, Hugh Jackman too. I mean, look at him as Wolverine in the first one. It's like, that, that is hilarious. If you look dude, at that's a, a guy, side. that's a guy who works out sometimes. Look at him in the Wolverine. It's no, I don't know if he's ever said it, but come on. <laughs> it's just, well, and so I guess my thing, which I was reflecting on, I didn't, 
uh, understand is why is there a stigma around saying you're on steroids? Because you're not hurting anyone else. It's not like secondhand smoking cigarettes into a baby's face. Like, okay, maybe it has health ramifications for yourself and you're going to have a heart attack at a later age. So what? I think, well... That's a choice an adult can make, I, I guess I think you're I'm supposed to pretend that hard work and dedication did it. You're supposed to pretend you didn't take the easy route. Well, steroids don't just make you look like that. Sure. So it's kind of, the, the real truth is I did work hard. I did have a great diet and I did supplement this with something external besides food and hard work. I think the other, I mean, I imagine that it's anyone could do this as part of what they want to say. But ju- like the barrier between you and this is simply yeah. hard work. Well, I think that's the damaging part. I was, th- mm-hmm. I was realizing that's kind of the bullshit mm-hmm. that is unfair because people who don't realize it's steroids just think that they're, not working out enough or not eating the right food. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably creates a lot of insecurity or feelings of inferiority in people who wouldn't feel so bad if they just knew that there was also some sort of exogenous hormone involved yeah. that is well, creating that gap. It's interesting because they, they, I mean, it's just, there's not a lot of talk of cosmetics. So you mentioned plastic surgery. Like I don't think that often is discussed. Well, what's weird is uh, having lived in Las Vegas, Rio de Janeiro and LA. Yeah. Totally fine. No, there's no shame at all in having implants in those three cities. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the rest of the world, it's not like that. But th- in those three cities, people are straight up happy to tell you that. I, w- I guess what I'm thinking of celebrities, and I don't, I guess I do watch a lot of celebrity interviews. I've never really heard them talk about yeah, that's like, fair. Their, their Botox regimen or their, uh, yeah, when they're like, oh, you look, you look amazing in this movie. They always just talk about working out a diet. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's like, also, by the way, I don't know if you could tell. I've had my face lifted three times in the last Yeah, yeah. I'm on Botox. Like, I also do that thing where they poke a bunch yeah. of holes in my yeah, face yeah. and I bleed. It's like the vampire, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever it's called. Uh, I think, I suspect that it's also uh, how v- you don't like to admit how much effort you put into vain and vanity uh, achievements <laughs> or, or, or that sort of stuff. But yeah, no, it, it definitely is, at least at that celebrity level uh treat it as if it's shameful because it is kept a secret when it is and this is the other thing then i go to somewhere that's not la and i look at people over the age of 40 and 50 i'm like oh yeah that's what happens to you that's what <laughs> not everyone what has lips like. that are just like exploding bursting at the seams uh you almost lose track of of what normal in certain neighborhoods and and uh scenarios you lose track of what a non- enhanced oh yeah person oh living in vegas is like that because not only do a much bigger percentage of women have implants every billboard is a girl wearing almost nothing Mm -hmm. and then you live there for a little bit and just get used to the fact that you see uh, unnaturally large breasts everywhere you go on people and billboards and whatever and it just becomes you become numb to it basically it's just a strange strange it's a strange vegas is a weird place man it's a it's a desert that has out of nowhere these extravagant casinos and clubs and everything. It's a, it's a strange place. I'm it's also funny. They, they uh, speaking of what's you know quote unquote acceptable or allowed. Whoever came up with what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Made that city so much money because mm-hmm. Vegas. People still say that. You know that marketing campaign probably hasn't been out for I don't know ten twenty years or something yeah. like that. And I still hear that. But I'm saying there's casinos in other towns. There's nightclubs yeah. in other towns. Like Excess Nightclub is a great nightclub. LA's got the same, New York's got the same, Miami's got the same. 
people come to Vegas and just think it's totally fine to cheat. It's totally fine to do drugs they would never do. Like all this behavior that they, they would think, they would judge someone else for doing it in their hometown. And then they go to Vegas and do it themselves because they feel like societally and socially, it's okay. It is a brilliant tagline, which is like, oh yeah. Really tap into the id of what a person wants. It's to do something and not have it count as them. Yep. That wasn't me. That was, you know what I mean? Like, is it's 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 just so brilliant to create this space where nothing. It's like the purge, yeah. Except for <laughs> cheating on your significant other. You know, you get one day where this is just totally in, allowed and and isn't a reflection on you. And it's yeah. What I think that I think that marketing one. campaign made the city a lot of money. Yeah. Because it's otherwise it's not that different from other places. Yeah. By the way. For today's sponsors, tangentially related to steroids, if people are interested in perfecting their physique and their health and they don't want to do TRT or HGH, we have a sponsor for today's podcast. It is insidetracker.com slash charisma. It's a service that Charlie and I have both used for years and they do blood work. That They'll come to your house and take blood work and then tell you everything that's going on in your body. And the most helpful thing, in my opinion, is your deficiencies, whether you're deficient in vitamin D or magnesium or anything of that nature. And a lot of times, if you're not getting the results that you want from diet and exercise, it can be because you are missing small things that make a big difference. These are are lever points that can be transformational for you. I, through Inside Tracker and a couple of changes to my diet, was able to almost triple my natural testosterone from incredibly low on the spectrum for a man my age to right down the fairway, right in the middle. Mm-hmm. You found out that you had testosterone at a good level, but had a lot of SHPG. binding agents yeah. that were preventing your body from using your testosterone. Mm-hmm. And then Inside Tracker will give you changes to your lifestyle or your sleep or your diet or whatever that will help you minimize those binding agents so your body can actually use the testosterone that it is creating that's mm-hmm. currently getting blocked. So. They're our sponsor for today. They're a great service. I've been using them and will continue to use them. And if you're in an, uh, like a crowded area in a city, they, they will come to your house, which is awesome. That's how I always did it. I just had them show up at my house in the morning, draw the blood. A couple of days later, you go online. You've got, I don't know how many different points. It's dozens of different particular markers. And then basically what I take with that is I uh, go buy the supplements that are needed. I remove the ones that I no longer need and put everything back into green. And it What's nice well. is it always is changing. That's You're not constantly, yeah. it's not the same thing every time your your life changes and adjusts and inside tracker helps you recognize the new things that you are not getting or you're getting too much of so so there's you a also discount. get a discount yep. if you go to insidetracker.com slash charisma you get a special discount and the podcast gets a little uh something for justin a little something something so thank you inside tracker insidetracker.com slash charisma anything else no, sir. A lot of moving. Not a lot of moving. Not a lot week, of philosophizing. Guys. Yeah, not a lot of reading or philosophizing. A lot of unpacking and packing this week. So, we got questions, Justin? Yep. Justin's got his, this regal couch now instead of this tiny stool we used to have. Before I had no back support. <laughs> now I feel like I could sit here for hours. <laughs> All right. First one is, I feel like I've kind of made a name for myself and persona for myself that everyone I know sees me as, and I'm not sure how to change it. I come off as kind of awkward and weird in a funny way, but it almost feels like people don't take me seriously and I can't change my perception in their heads because they've known me for so long. I can't really escape my environment either since I'm in high school, so I can't move somewhere else temporarily or anything like that. So how do I change how people view me? Mm. Well, I never did this. I was the same, and and it, even when I changed, people just like refused to see it. 
Summers help a lot in school, though. Summers can help. You can just come back from that three-month gap and be different. Yeah, I know one kid who did it. He was a friend of mine, and one day he just didn't sit at our lunch table and just decided that he was a guy who now hung out with girls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he he just remade himself in a new friend group, and we weren't close for a year or two, and then I guess, you know, we reconnected after that. Uh, So that's, I'm not saying you should do that, but you just... Look, man, high school can feel very trapping, and I think it is because everybody's known each other for a long time. They hold each other to the standards of who they were three, four years ago, even though people are changing at the fastest pace of their entire lives. Um, so what you could do, I'm not saying, you could change Fred groups and find people that don't have as much of a thing that they know about you. Uh, and then at that point, you can start to potentially integrate the new and the old friend groups and have them like warm and cold water, find a lukewarm <laughs> <laughs> medium of understanding of you. Uh, and I hate to say this, when it, whenever people ask me questions in high school, this is one of the tough things is I didn't ever figure out how to change in high school. It's a tough environment in which to do it. I just dealt with it. Got changed in high school and college. And, well, I think and that, I do college. Think in terms of how you're perceived, I think for whatever reason, if you just, you've always worn basketball shorts and a t-shirt, and then one day you show up and you're wearing nice nice shorts and a polo shirt or whatever if you do that from a wednesday to a thursday it feels disingenuous now obviously as it occurs over the course of a summer there is a day where it just switches Mm -hmm. but it's out of people's eyesight Mm -hmm. and so when you leave for the year and you come back three months later and you have new fashion and new style you carry yourself a new way you have new interests it's not considered disingenuous or it doesn't shock people it's not sudden even though clearly there was just a day in july where you yeah. switched tough so, advice in october <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just i mean listen you ask a question yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the answer is you just come back between one yeah and one i mean i did it in college between freshman and sophomore year it's completely changed my yeah. style and look and everything and i came back and all of a sudden it was like oh my god this is so you know I mean, it was, yeah, what's it was happened? praised it, it was, was praised. reasonable for something to have transformed instead you in that of if i had just done it yeah. Between a Wednesday and Thursday, I think it'd be much more like, who or, are you yeah. pretending to be? Yeah. You're, a, you're given permission for more growth, weirdly. in the When people aren't looking when at people you. people aren't looking, yeah. 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 Hopefully that helps. All right, I have one more. <clears throat> so Not a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, this one was also a patron question. Um, so, hey guys, after listening to your interview with Alex Hormozzi, I became very interested in his success. I subscribed to his channel and watched every video he created for his for this year. It was only upon watching his video titled How I Made $35 million for My Companies Using One Sales Tactic that I became worried. In the video, he tells a story of running into an old college buddy that was earning 10 times more than Alex by selling supplements, which became the catalyst for Alex to begin selling supplements of his own. He struggled for a while with upselling new customers on his products until meeting a woman one day whom he described as having a nice ring and purse, aka money, and an upbeat, agreeable personality. He decided to use the assumed close tactic or assumed close tactic and asked her which protein flavors she'd like. The woman, being polite, asked for his recommendation, which he provided, before asking which flavor of pre-workout she'd like, adding his personal favorite being kiwi. She smiled and agreed. Fearing not to push his luck, he capped the interaction, asking if he could use the card on file, and she said yes, grabbed her products, and left. Where Alex saw a breakthrough business opportunity, I saw manipulation at its finest. He seemed to believe that he was such an avid salesman that he convinced her to buy, whereas I see it as someone not realizing they're making a separate purchase in the first place. Mm-hmm. Although I agree that simply changing the words you use to avoid proposing an either-or scenario to your prospects will dramatically increase your rate of success, I think in this situation the customer was more likely to believe the products were being given to her were 
um, included in her original purchase. Given your previous stance on the marketing strategies you're willing slash unwilling to use, I'm interested in your opinion. I value your guys' recommendations, which is what led me to dive deeper into Alex's business, but the deeper I go in, the more I find signs that this type of behavior seems to be a habit of his, and cognitive dissonance leads to him seeing misdirection and manipulation as cutting-edge business acumen. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know this particular example. I haven't listened to the story. I, without knowing the particular example, I would agree that if, because I've been in these scenarios where, and I've been on the other end, and I can sometimes lack the desire to do the conf- the confronting where I assume somebody presents something as like, oh, it, you know, it feels included. And then there's a bill later. And I, if it's a low enough dollar cost, might just be like, yeah, fine, you know, do it. Uh, and I agree, that's not, you don't want to do that. So for that particular one, yeah, two, I, I think there's a better way to frame it. Um, that is still a two-step close that, I don't know, you can talk about like, Hey, we see the clients that do these sorts of things get a tremendous amount more benefit. But what if he said, so, cause we don't, we weren't there. What if no, I wasn't there? What if it's, you know, what's your kind of protein? Do you like blah, blah, blah. What flavor pre-workout? I like kiwi. And he goes, okay, that'll be $90. Can I just build the chart, the card on file? Mm-hmm. That seems fine. Oh, oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there, here's the big thing. That one is assuming the sale making and the the other person understands this is an additional purchase so that's what i'm saying so you, that one so i'm fine take, with you take that the one protein I'm totally off the shelf with. you put it down you take the protein off the shelf you put it down and then you say it's 90 dollars. and yes. right there she can say oh sorry i didn't realize it was included can you put it back and it's, how you frame that someone could be like oh well you're putting pressure but it's also like i just made it explicit mm-hmm. that this is a separate purchase before billing the card mm-hmm. i feel like that would be totally fine well i, I hear what you're saying i think it's tough because let's, let's imagine what's going on in the person's head that is actually making them more likely to buy. Uh, is it a fear of so... Here's, here's where I go. Is it a fear of social confrontation that is making them go through with the purchase? If it is, then I think that you're, that you're in uh, unethical territory at that point. Like if, if someone is making a purchase because they feel... Ups, they, they'll disappoint you. Well, there but, also is a psychology there's a psychological aspect of feeling ownership over something. Yes. Which is once you feel ownership over something, you're way more likely to want it, keep it, overvalue it. So once you put the protein and down, so that is one it I'm more fear of confrontation yeah, yeah. or is it the fact that she's like, oh, I'm going to make smoothies with this. Yeah. Okay, this is what I'm going to do every day. Oh, wait, it's $90. But I've already imagined my life with it and I want it. Yes. That seems fine. I'm cool with that one. So I'm yeah, cool I, I don't one. know that it's, I don't know. I guess I'm not there. I'm not there to read the micro expressions. Yeah. But you could imagine it's based on not wanting to confront him, but you could also imagine it's like the try the puppy method mm-hmm. of persuasion, which is just once someone has something, they like it. This is, uh, I'll do it real quick because who knows if it's true or not because psychological psychology studies are always tricksy to replicate. But mm-hmm. they did a test with Duke basketball tickets where everybody has to bid. Dan Ariely, yeah. For uh, getting season tickets to Duke basketball. It's very high demand. Oh, it's a lottery. It's not a bid. It's a lottery. No, no, so, so you have to, yeah, you have to wait outside if and for then, guaranteed tickets and then other people get them via lottery or something like that. But once people have the tickets, there's a ability to resell them. And they find there's a huge gap between what people who don't have the tickets are willing to pay for them and what people who already have the tickets value the tickets at. Mm-hmm. Because when you have the ticket, you picture yourself at the game or whatever And it is. you've invested. I think that's another thing is that there's a lot of camping out that goes in, in for some of this stuff. So having put so much time in it. Right, I've, but it's still the same. I mean, yeah, sunk cost, I guess, goes in there as well. But the the bid-ask spread on re- these yeah, yeah. tickets is massive. And so there, 
could be the same thing going on by someone just having mentally taken ownership of something Mm -hmm. and then wanting it because they've already imagined their life with it. So to me, that's the ethical question is what is, and this is, this is going to depend on the very specifics of any interaction and how it's offered and in the context of what, and does this product usually get paired with this for free or doesn't it, you know, and so there's a lot of specifics that will determine my ruling on any particular interaction. But what I would say would be the principle is, are they going through the purchase based on the social pressure uh, to not look cheap? That to me is now like, this is unethical territory. Like, let, you know, let them get, ex- but are they excited about the product and they thought about using it and they're excited about the results and you've got them to really imagine that? That's ethical in, in my perspective. So I don't know with the specific one, what was going on. Was there an additional question regarding Alex in particular? Uh, no, just more so the thoughts on the mm-hmm. ethics of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, one thing I actually will say, which, and I don't, I haven't watched Alex's stuff. Charlie is a huge fan. I've mm-hmm. watched two videos. Uh, his, he seems intelligent. I'm just focusing on videos, but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a dangerous thing to do is to take someone on as a guru and then accept every single thing that they do as good and something you should do. So I think in general, what you're doing is intelligent and I respect it and I would encourage you to continue it with everybody is take advice and assess whether you like the individual piece of advice. Don't take a guru on and accept everything they do, which is to say, if you find that you like 90% of Alex's advice and you don't like this piece of advice, throw it away. To be successful with the other advice, it does not require you to take on 100% of what they say. And I think it can be dangerous sometimes with anyone, with Tony Robbins, with Alex, with whoever, to be accept them as gospel. Can I, can I add some color to that and see how you feel? I think that where you want to be skeptical and toss advice is from an ethical and moral mm-hmm. perspective. But I do think that if you're taking Tony's or Alex's or our advice about a domain of expertise and you're like, that would never work, no, try it. You should take the advice. <laughs> uh, try it is what I, I wouldn't say take the advice. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. To be fair, uh, we read a book called mm-hmm. The E-Myth, which is all about systematizing yeah, you your business. Yeah, we took the advice. And then we took the advice and it didn't work. And then it turns out that he tried to systematize his business and it didn't work mm-hmm. for him, the author. So and once you've vetted someone, you don't take it yeah, as yeah. gospel, but you try it. Mm-hmm. You try it unless you think it's unethical. And in which case you don't even you have don't to try it. it. But yeah. if it just makes you uncomfortable, if and this isn't, you, but some people will get sales advice and they go, I just feel uncomfortable. Like, Hey, you should double your price for your coaching yeah. and, or you should double your price as a DM for D and D and people go, ah, that just makes me feel uncomfortable. It's like, would you like the money? If the other people were happy, would you be happy? Okay. Then you should try this <laughs> even if it makes you uncomfortable. Cause it's not an ethics thing at that point. It's mm-hmm. just social courage. So yeah, I think there's a variety of reasons, I guess, to throw out advice, but yeah, if you think something's shady, no pressure to do it. Yep. Cool, cool. Patreon? Yep. All right, guys. This was a short one. We had a, uh, a big move this week, but maybe we'll be reading more books and have more for you next week. If you want to see more, we've got... What do we got for Patreon this week, Justin? Oh, yeah, Justin, what are we answering? Yeah, this week we're going to talk about star signs. We're going okay. to answer a question about if you should call an ex that you miss. Definitely. Oh. Always. Yes. And then... Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about how to practice touch with women without being creepy. All right, cool. Hope to see you guys there. Any amount gets you in. So hope to see you over on the Patreon. If not, next week. Cheers. Peace.
You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.